Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, and this is the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast. On the show, we talk about managing PCOS using proven strategies, ditching diets for good, and balancing hormones naturally. Let's get to it. Hey there, and welcome back to the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast. I'm Daphna Chazen, your host. And I'm very excited that you're here today because we're talking about seven questions to ask your doctor at your next visit. Now, PCOS is a condition that can definitely manifest differently in every woman. Uh, It's a syndrome. And so each one, each person is going to have a different mix of symptoms. But I know that if there's one thing that's universal across the board for the vast majority of women, it's a negative experience at the doctor's office, unfortunately. And that could be upon your diagnosis or maybe even later on. And so today I want to talk about it and help you prepare for your next visit so that you can navigate it a little bit better feel more positive, not defeated when you leave the office, and definitely reduce your frustration when it comes to communicating with your doctor. And we're going to talk about the seven questions to ask and the rationale behind them, why they're important, what kind of, you know, information you're going to get and what to do with those answers. I highly recommend that you take some notes during today's episode, but if you're not able to, you're driving, you're walking outside, you're in the shower, wherever you may be, don't worry. I actually put together a guide that summarizes the questions and it's called seven must ask questions for your next doctor visit. And you can find this resource over at daphnachazen.com forward slash Q's, Q-S, the letter Q, the letter S as in Sam, daphnachazen.com forward slash Cues. Now, before we dive into the specific things that I recommend you ask, I want to offer a mindset shift, if I may, around a PCOS diagnosis. And here's the thing. You take it if it helps. You take it if you need it. You leave it if you don't. But I just wanted to mention it in case it helps you to change a little bit of your perspective around it. The first thing I want you to know is that PCOS is not your fault. If you've been recently diagnosed or have been, or have been diagnosed 20 years ago, you may still feel some shame and guilt around it. And I want you to know that there is nothing that you did or didn't do that caused your PCOS. PCOS can feel very scary. The diagnosis can feel very confusing. But the mindset shift that I want to offer you is that it can also feel validating. So for women, maybe that's you who've struggled for many years with very difficult symptoms and now can finally put a name to this whole slew of issues that probably have impacted you negatively for a really long time, that can be relieving. That could be seen as something that's a light at the end of the tunnel. And you can really choose, make a decision to view this as a positive thing because when you know what it is, when it has a name, you have a diagnosis, now you can finally begin to manage it from a more knowledgeable, empowered place. So yes, it's absolutely scary, but at the same time, it can feel somewhat like a relief because there are definitely effective ways to treat PCOS and many of them are in your control like lifestyle factors and nutrition, which is what this podcast is focused on. So I want you to think about this as you now have the power to manage PCOS successfully. And this is a mindset shift that can, 
you know, you can make it whenever you want during your journey. Again, maybe you've already struggled for a while. I want you to think about making this shift into saying, yes, I have the power to treat my PCOS, whether it's been years or a week since my diagnosis, and you can make a decision and take make this choice to feel empowered to make it a positive experience as best as you can. I know it's not always easy, but having that diagnosis can make you feel more empowered to manage it more specifically and from a more knowledgeable place. Doctors are going to be essential in this process. So in the care for PCOS, in managing the condition, oftentimes multiple doctors, multiple providers are needed in order to get a very good comprehensive treatment plan. And that often includes maybe your primary care doctor in the beginning, although I'm going to talk about that in a second. I don't really recommend your primary care doctor manages your PCOS. You should see a specialist, and that can include a gynecologist or a reproductive endocrinologist or a regular endocrinologist. Um, Some of my clients go see a functional medicine doctor, and there are other healthcare professionals that can be relevant here. Um, And that, of course, includes dietitians like myself, naturopath, acupuncturists, mental health counselors, trainers, but you know, I'm throwing out these other providers as just more of an FYI. Today we're going to talk about doctors specifically and you know, if you're in the US, it can get expensive to see a functional medicine doctor and those, you know, other healthcare providers are also um, maybe not in your insurance or whatever the case may be, but we're going to focus on doctors in the more kind of westernized medicine and what to ask during those appointments. But I just wanted to mention that it's going to take a team. And most of my clients see multiple providers and they do, you know, treat different aspects of the condition. We were laughing in one of my coaching calls the other day because we were talking about the different ways that PCOS can be managed and different people and providers that can play a role. And someone said, it sounds like I'm going to need a naturopath, a dietitian, a doctor, a trainer, a mental health counselor, and also a driver to drive me to all of these appointments. And that we all, we all laughed because of course, you know, no one expects you to have all of these people at your disposal. It can get expensive. It's not available and possible for many women, but it is important to know what the options are. Okay. So no one can ever blame you or, you know, you shouldn't feel bad for wanting to know the options and what's available and you pick and choose whatever works for you. Now I want to say something about primary care doctors. They, many of them are wonderful. And if you have one that you love, they're definitely a keeper and an asset, but they're kind of a mile wide and an inch deep, meaning they know a little bit about a lot of things, but I wouldn't recommend that your primary care doctor manages your PCOS. It's an endocrine, metabolic, reproductive condition. You should see someone who specializes in hormone health and can really help you get to the source. Just like if you had, you know, a problem with your joints or bones, you would see an orthopedic, you know, doctor or surgeon, or just like if you needed to um, have a tooth extracted, you wouldn't ask your primary care doctor about it. You would go to a dentist. So going to see a specialist, if you can, if it's available to you is what I would recommend. The problem with Western medicine um, is that, you know, the body is kind of, there's a doctor for every body part. So the body is kind of broken up into different, you know, systems and organs. And oftentimes when you go to see different doctors, 
the care is not cohesive, right? They're not really working together. They may not be communicating to the effect that we want. And so it can get challenging. And this is where functional medicine can be helpful. But again, this is not something that's available to everyone, but I do want to encourage you that sometimes a little tip that I can give you as someone who's worked in very large healthcare systems uh, for a while before I had, you know, my current business is that go to providers who are within the same healthcare system. It helps with communication. It can help coordinate your care. And if that's something that's possible and available in your area, I highly recommend that you try to do that. The other problem is that, again, the universal experience once you do see these doctors is oftentimes not great to say the least. So if I want to confirm to you and validate your feelings that if you dread going to the doctor because of past experiences that have been bad, or if when you go there, you always leave feeling low and defeated, you're not alone. It's not right. You don't definitely, of course, don't deserve it. No one does. And there is something that you can do about that. And I'm going to talk about it in a minute. But some of the things that I hear commonly from women who go to doctors and have a negative experience is that they're accused of lying or making up symptoms, right? They're being told to come back when you want to have children. And until then, nothing else matters. I mean, what about women who do not want to have children? There are women who do not want to have children and that's their choice. And that's totally valid. Why should they struggle with PCOS symptoms. I don't understand the logic behind this statement of come back when you when you want to get pregnant. Being offered no other options but birth control pills or being told that everything looks normal and there's absolutely nothing wrong with you, right? That's kind of like medical gaslighting saying, well, you must be crazy because your labs are normal. So everything that you're saying is probably all in your head. Or, you know, getting very unrealistic, unclear nutrition advice for, from, from someone who likely never followed that same advice themselves. I absolutely loathe that. I think that, you know, when doctors, especially male doctors, throw suggestions around keto or dieting or cutting carbs or doing intermittent fasting or things like that, um, that I hear often coming, nothing against male doctors, but oftentimes it does come from those sources. Um, you know, what may work for them, or maybe they never even tried it, is not necessarily good advice. And then overall, just feeling intimidated, feeling invisible, and like I said, experiencing gaslighting and kind of this this um, dismissive attitude um, is unfortunate. And I know that you oftentimes leave these visits with more questions than answered and things may look hopeless, but here's one thing to remember. Here in the U.S. at least, the healthcare system is a business. And as such, you are the customer and you should ask your doctor questions and you should interview them and you should make sure that they're a fit for your needs and for your approach. There should be alignment between how you think and what you believe and your value system and your doctor, right? They should be on the same page as you. Now, I realize that some people don't have options and you may be in an area where there's not a whole variety of doctors. There's not a whole, you know, uh, healthcare system there's, that's large and offers different providers. I get that. But honestly, now after the pandemic, um, with telemedicine, there are more options and there's po probably more of a chance of reaching doctors outside your area uh, through virtual counseling, but, um, you know, that's a topic for another day, but I just want to make sure that 
Yes, I realize some areas have limited numbers of doctors that are accessible, but I do want to empower you to research, to interview, to think about it, to know that you have options. The first doctor you see doesn't have to be your doctor for the long, the rest of your life, for the long haul, right? So you are the customer essentially, and it's run like a business. So we're going to treat it like a business, right? It's treated like a business in many other aspects. So I want to kind of confirm to you and validate your, you know, the need to look out for other options is okay. And that is something that you absolutely are encouraged to do. Um, all right. So one of the things that I always tell my clients is that you have a job of being an informed patient. And that means that you want to be somewhat vocal during your appointments. Of course, you're not going to be rude or anything like that, but you want to make yourself heard, communicate your thoughts and feelings and questions, and make sure that, you know, regardless of what your provider is saying, you deserve to have answers. And so you can ask follow-up questions. You can, you know, don't be shy, be assertive and communicate clearly. This is your responsibility. If you want to heal PCOS, manage it properly. You have to be more vocal in those appointments and make sure that you're ready and prepared to have a meaningful conversation with your provider. Chances are they're rushing, right? There's not going to be a lot of time. And so there's not much we can do about that. But what you can do is come prepared and be ready to go. And so part of this is researching, researching on the internet for your doctor, you know, their qualifications, what are they specializing in? Maybe you already can see that it's not a good fit, right? So if you're not interested in getting pregnant, you're not going to go to someone who specializes in fertility and is only interested in getting you pregnant, right? So you want to search the internet, search your insurance database if you have one, the best way to get a good doctor is through word of mouth referral. And so if you don't have friends or family that have PCOS and have good experience with their doctors, there are a lot of PCOS support groups, especially on Facebook, where you can post a question. You can ask for people in your area. Some of these groups have tens of thousands of people. There's going to be someone who knows someone in your area, right? So you got to be out there. You got to make sure that you read reviews, you ask questions, you research. And if you can get word of mouth referrals, that would be great. Prepare. Be prepared. Think about how you'll describe your symptoms when you're there. Write down your questions. Maybe you bring a notepad. Maybe you mentally prepare um, for the experience, right? Sometimes we're so paralyzed by the whole experience of being in a doctor's office, and that's totally common, that we forget half the things they said, and we forget half the things we wanted to say right? So make sure that you're prepared. You're taking 10 minutes to think about it. Maybe even before you walk in in your car, you're writing your questions, you're thinking about your symptoms. You also think about what is the most pressing issue that you want them to help you with, right? Whether that's a symptom or something else. So be prepared, do your research, and then follow up and keep your doctor informed on how you're doing. So when you leave, don't say, I'm going to call to schedule my appointment or I'll come back next year. Schedule that next visit when you leave. Have your calendar ready. Save their contact info on your phone so that you're not scrambling. If you have an urgent matter or question, you can pull it up and call them right away, right? These are things you can easily do, okay? So a little bit goes a long way here because if you start doing these things every time you go to the doctor, you're going to feel better. You're going to feel more in control, and probably those visits are going to go a lot smoother, 
All right, are you ready? We're gonna jump into the seven questions to ask your doctor. Question number one is, can you share what is the basis for my diagnosis? And you can ask this whether you've been just diagnosed or you've been diagnosed a long time ago. It is okay to revisit this unless you already know what it is. And in order to be diagnosed with PCOS, a woman has to have two of the following three things. This is based on the Rotterdam criteria, which is the most commonly used criteria for diagnosis. So you need to have two of the following three things. Cycles that are long or irregular, and those are going to be about 35 days apart or more, okay? Or you can have short cycles, 21 days or less, okay? So a long cycle. Hyperandrogenism, which is high uh, levels of testosterone or other male hormones. And that could be upon your blood work, or this this could be something that's visibly, um, signs of it are visibly noticeable, like facial hair, or um, alopecia, like androgenic alopecia, loss of hair on on the head, right? Um, So a short or long cycle, high levels of androgens, and then the last one is ovarian cysts, which are not really cysts. Those are going to be fluid-filled sacs. Those are enlarged follicles, immature follicles, okay? So if you have two of those three things, that meets the diagnostic criteria for PCOS. Note that weight gain is not part of the diagnosis. Insulin resistance on its own, not part of the diagnosis. We cannot diagnose PCOS. Well, I cannot diagnose as a dietitian in general, but your provider cannot diagnose PCOS based on weight gain, based on things like fatigue or cravings or insulin resistance or prediabetes. Those are not part of the criteria. And one of the things that they may do is an ultrasound to confirm the diagnosis. So if you have high levels of testosterone or if you have hirsutism and you also have, you know, 40, 60 day cycles, whatever, or anything in between, whatever it may be, a long cycle, they may also do an ultrasound and see whether or not you have cysts on the ovaries, although, you know, it can confirm the diagnosis, but it already is sufficient. What you already are manifesting or showing is already sufficient to get a diagnosis of PCOS. An ultrasound shouldn't be used on its own to diagnose PCOS because up to 70% of young women have cysts or have ovarian follicles that are enlarged and they don't have PCOS. They just have ovarian cysts. And that's a pretty common thing, but it doesn't come with the other components of PCOS. And so it's not the syndrome, it's just polycystic ovaries. Okay. So an ultrasound in and of itself is not sufficient here. Now, here's one important thing. Once you know what was the basis for your diagnosis, what did the PCOS diagnosis you know, come from which which issues uh, to which two issues or maybe all three issues that I just listed. You want to keep track of them and you want to assess your progress based on this diagnostic criteria. So, say your cycle was long and it was sixty days, and after you start making some changes, maybe you work on nutrition, maybe you take metformin, whatever the case may be, your cycle is now a forty-five day cycle or a thirty-five day cycle. That's good. So we can see that the issue that you were having is kind of normalizing and and getting into the right ranges. Or if you've had testosterone levels that are high, you're going to want to see a downward trend once you start treatment and start working on those issues. And so it's important to know the basis for the diagnosis so that you can track it and see if it's getting better or worse. 
It's also important to know that your doctor has ruled out other issues. So that could be high prolactin levels. If you have irregular cycles or missing periods altogether, that could be related to high prolactin levels. Um, and so we want to make sure that the doctor has looked at that. If you have, um, you know, a re- irregular cycle can also be related to thyroid issues. So did they look at your thyroid? Did they rule out that there's, you know, PCOS regardless of your thyroid issues or maybe both things, right? Or if you only have a thyroid issue, maybe it's not PCOS. Maybe your periods are missing due to that. So it's important to kind of ask them this sub-question of whether or not other issues have been ruled out. And so again, same thing with the ovarian cysts. So the first question, can you share the basis for my diagnosis? Second question is, what additional testing do you recommend? Okay, why is this important? Well, additional testing can shed light on what's driving your PCOS, right? So we know that you have, say, high testosterone levels and maybe a prolonged cycle, right? A cycle that's longer than 35 days. Well, do we know what the underlying issue may be? Is it inflammation? Is it insulin resistance? Both of these things could be at play, could be other things as well. And so it's important to check in order to identify this is part of being really informed and and kind of knowing your numbers. So if you were to get additional blood work or additional testing, you're going to want to know what those results mean. Inside my program, Reset Your PCOS, I give the ladies a lab work guide where we talk about what tests to ask your doctor for, what do their results mean, and I also give them a tracker so that they can know their numbers and keep track of what's going on in their body. But this is important. So if your doctor has not yet run lab work or blood work uh, in general, you want to ask them, what additional tests do you recommend? Maybe they recommend an ultrasound, like we said before. Maybe they need to run a more comprehensive um profile of your blood work. Maybe they also want to do an oral glucose tolerance test. This is a test that can help identify insulin resistance. It's actually the best test to run for insulin resistance. And it's a little bit, it it is a blood, a blood test, but it is a little bit different where you would drink a sugar solution over the course of about two hours and your blood uh, levels will be, uh, blood, blood sugar levels will be tested over a few uh, intervals. And so it takes a little bit more of a time commitment on your end because you have to sit there after you sip this solution. But um, it's an important test to have. This can really um, show your insulin response. And so these numbers that you're going to get back based on your testing are important to consider also in light of family history. So if you have a strong family history of high cholesterol or heart heart disease or diabetes, you're going to want to know about it because if your blood sugar is already trending up or you have insulin resistance, your risk is high, right? So we want to make sure that we address that. Um, And if you already have high cholesterol levels, and now you realize that you also have insulin resistance, that puts you at higher risk for heart disease. So again, all of these things are part of being informed, knowing your numbers, understanding your blood test results. And you'll also want to make sure that your doctor intends to repeat your blood work every six months in most cases. Sometimes they'll say, come back next year if everything is looking okay and you're feeling okay. But in most cases, I do recommend blood work every six months because it's important to note the trends. So the trends are are just as important as the actual number numbers. And what I mean by this is that if you see that your A1C is normal, but over the course of 18 months, it's trending up and now it's kind of approaching the pre-diabetic range, 
You're going to want to know about it. You're going to want to keep an eye on it and you definitely want to track it. And so it's important to know your numbers. It's important to notice the trends and it's important to ask your doctor, how do they intend to approach lab, lab testing? Are they going to ask for additional ones and are they going to order them regularly? All right. Question number three is what health risks are associated with my PCOS diagnosis? So you may already know that women with PCOS are, are at high risk, just like we said, for type 2 diabetes, for reduced thyroid function, for heart disease. And it's really important to understand the full picture of your health. Okay. Everyone's a little bit different. And we want to, like I said, consider family history, consider your blood work results, consider the symptoms that you're having right now, consider your lifestyle factors. Maybe you're someone who is smoking and very sedentary. Maybe you're someone who's not, right? All of these things will play into your risk profile for other conditions. And it's important to really understand this ahead of time and, and kind of, you know, know to prioritize. If you're at high risk for something, your treatment plan should be prioritizing that issue, taking care of that issue. Um, and sometimes also it's more urgent to use a medication early on to mitigate some of those risks. So like I said, if you've already developed prediabetes, you are likely, you know, it's more urgent for you to use something like metformin. Again, you can absolutely manage that and reverse it naturally. That's exactly what I help women do. So I know that it can be done, but that conversation with your doctor should include, well, is it time to use a medication? Should I try this? What do you think? Now your doctor will likely say yes, because that's what they're trained to do. They're trained to prescribe a medication and to help you kind of do symptom management it is still important to address the driver behind your PCOS. And in the case of prediabetes, that's likely going to be insulin resistance. But having that conversation around using a medication is important during that appointment. And part of that is understanding what are the health risks that you specifically have along with your PCOS diagnosis. The next question is one of my favorites, and that is what treatments other than medications or birth control pills have worked well for other patients with PCOS in your experience? It's a long one, but you can get it in. Your doctor probably sees many, many women with PCOS, and while they will likely suggest a medication like we just said, because that's how they're trained to do, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking a medication... They've also probably heard or seen other women who were successful in using other methods. So they see a lot of people and they probably heard success stories and they know that it's possible to heal PCOS by their patient experience, or maybe they themselves are trained or knowledgeable about natural approaches. And this is a really great question to also kind of allow you to get to know your doctor, um, help them understand that you're looking for options, that you're open to a variety of solutions, that you maybe prefer a natural approach versus a medication, if that's the case for you. So it's a really great opportunity to kind of see how your doctor responds, see if they're open and attentive to those questions and specifically to this one uh, where you're saying, listen, a medication is okay. I'm not against it, but what else has worked, right? What have you seen with the hundreds or maybe thousands of women that you've already worked with that has been beneficial? And let me tell you, if a woman has success, she's definitely going to go back and tell her doctor about it. And they're going to ask her what she did and they can pass on this beneficial information to you if they've had this experience. So this is a really great question, I think, to ask. The next one, question number five is, 
Can we discuss our treatment plan? Your doctor should be able to discuss a treatment plan with you that's agreed upon. And that would include some type of progression of treatment between you and your doctor that you both agreed upon. And they should be able to tell you what are kind of the different steps or phases that you would use. So let me give you an example. If you came in your blood sugar was fine. Maybe you noticed that there's a little bit of insulin resistance based on the lab tests that they have run for you. You can ask them and say, look, I would rather manage this naturally. I'm going to implement some nutrition changes, or I'm working with a dietitian to help me reverse my insulin resistance. But if it doesn't work in the next six to eight months, and we see that my insulin continues to rise and my symptoms are not improved, what would be our next step? right? So almost like future pacing and thinking about what is this going to look like in the next nine to 12 months? You want to look long-term and you want to make sure that your doctor is already thinking about what to do next. This is their job, okay? Their job is to help you. Their job is to treat you. And so they should be able to tell you what they recommend. Now, they may very well say, there's not going to be another option. Metformin is your only option or birth control. And that's okay. Maybe that's not the right doctor for you, right? We want someone who's open, who is creative, who has the ability to offer multiple solutions and is a partner with you. They need to work with you. They don't need to shut you down, right? So I would ask, can we discuss a treatment plan? What would be the different approaches or phases that we would take over the next nine to 12 months to help me manage this? Next question is, this is number six, would you be able to refer me to additional providers that can help? A good doctor values collaboration with other professionals, and they know that it takes a team, right? It takes a village to manage PCOS. Your doctor should know this, and so they should be able to refer you. And this, by the way, is a great way to get a list of vetted kind of professionals or other doctors or dietitians or other healthcare professionals that your doctor recommends. And I do this all the time. Like whenever I go to a doctor, I would say, can I have a list of your recommended providers that you refer to, even if I don't need it? I'm one of those people. I just go in with my pediatrician too, by the way. When I take my kids, I say, can I have a list of the uh, pediatric specialists that you recommend? Because I just like to have them. If I need it, I, I have a starting point. I'm not going to Google, right? So I already know that these people are local. I already know that they're vetted by my doctor. And I already know that they're in the network, more, more, more likely than not, right? So just ask. They usually at the front desk will have a list and you would ask your doctor, what additional providers do you think can help me? Okay. They should be able to tell you and direct you into the next step, or, you know, maybe it's a lateral step, another provider that you could use. And last but not least, this is important. Number seven is how do you feel about natural approaches for treatment like nutrition and supplementation? All right. Well, again, a good doctor would know that nutrition is the number one way to manage PCOS. So they should be open. They should be attentive. They should actually be freaking excited about using this approach. And so chances are they're going to say, sure, you can do that. Why don't you try keto, right? So the D word, the diet word is going to come up and you should be prepared for that. But what I want you to do is instead of kind of, you know, feeling a pit in your stomach or shaking your head and saying nothing, I want you to say, I'm not interested in dieting, or I've already tried this route and it hasn't been good for my body or my mental mental health or both, whatever, however you want to phrase it. But I would say that you're interested in a balanced approach. You want, you know, gentle nutrition. You want to be able to maintain the changes that you're making, 
Do they have recommendations? Do they have any suggestions as far as a more kind of, you know, um, non-diet approach to managing PCOS? And what do they think about supplements? Have they found any research about supplements for PCOS? What, what kind of things do they have to say about that? There are a lot of uh, studies um, showing that, you know, things like inositol and vitamin D and omega-3 and other supplements are helpful for PCOS. Everyone's case is going to be a little bit different. And so it's not something that, you know, there's a blanket recommendation for XYZ supplement regimen. Um, in my program, I help women create a supplement regimen that's customized to their needs. And so it's worth it to ask your doctor about this, see the response, see what they say, what their knowledge um, base is around this topic. And again, this could just help kind of gauge also if this doctor is a good fit for you, or it's time to look for someone else that's more open. I really hope you found this episode helpful. Those were the seven questions that you want to ask your doctor at your next visit. Let's just recap real quick. Question number one is, can you share what is the basis for my diagnosis? Question number two, what additional testing do you recommend? Number three, what health risks are associated with my PCOS diagnosis? Number four, what treatments other than medications or birth control pills have worked well for other patients with PCOS in your experience? Number five is, can we discuss a treatment plan? Number six, would you be able to refer me to additional providers that can help? And then number seven is, how do you feel about natural approaches for treatments such as nutrition and supplementation? Now, you don't have to ask all of these questions. Pick and choose the ones that work for you and are most important and relevant in your case and run with them. Go with them. Be vocal. Be assertive. Communicate. Say what you want. You are in a position of power with PCOS. I know it doesn't feel like it sometimes, but again, the right doctor will be able to answer these questions openly, patiently, and they're going to hopefully change around your experience with these doctor visits because let me tell you, I'm on a mission to make sure that everyone is prepared and well-equipped to talk to their doctor, especially if you have PCOS, because this is important. This is your life. This is your health, and you should make it a priority and not feel embarrassed or shy about it, okay? Do we have a, an agreement? Can we pinky promise that you're going to use some of these questions next time you go to the doctor? And like I said, I have a free downloadable guide summarizing these questions and kind of the rationale behind them. And so I want you to go to daphnachazen.com forward slash QS, daphnachazen.com forward slash QS. You can grab it, put it in your purse or car and use it the next time you go there. I hope this was helpful. Let me know what questions or thoughts you have about it over on Instagram. Otherwise, I'll see you again next time. Bye.